Hello and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgendreer, founder of the Logistics Tribe, and today's episode is hosted by Marco Prügelmeier. His guest on the show is Bernd Grosch. Bern is Chief Innovation Officer at Harmonized Mobility and a globally recognized expert on the systems and standards that need to be put in place in order to safely deploy autonomous delivery robots on the sidewalks of our inner cities. And those will come faster than most of us think. Companies like Amazon, FedEx, Starship and Uber are all running pilots for the small electric autonomous delivery bots in multiple cities across the world as we speak. The goal is to lower the cost of last mile delivery and to reduce emissions in the city. Very good idea. But as you will learn in this episode, there are a lot of issues that need to be addressed in order to avoid chaos on our sidewalks as these bots roam around everywhere. Super interesting topic. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Logistics Tribe, Burn. Nice to have you here on the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, Marco, thanks for having me. This is always exciting to, to uh, have this work looked at so closely. Yeah, great. Maybe you can, uh, Burn, you can uh, describe a little bit what you are working on and, and a little bit of your background for, your, for our audience. Sure, I'd love to. Briefly, my, my background, I'm a systems engineer, which is just a branch of practical engineering mathematics for systems. And so on. I think uh, most of the listeners are pretty familiar with those ideas. Um, and that's what I've been doing for the last uh, 45 or so years. And oh, many, quite some experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, that, there's always more to learn. <laughs> I certainly don't. I certainly <laughs> yeah. I, I've just scratched the surface during that time. Um, one, of the, one of the things I've done sustainably throughout most of this time is I've worked on standards. I've worked on standards here in the country I'm in with Canada. I've worked on U.S. standards with uh, a couple of different groups. And I've worked um, in the last, I would say, 15 or so years on ISO standards. That's the International Organization for Standards. And uh, those standards with the ISO have all involved transportation in some way or another. And in particular, they've involved uh, road pricing systems uh, back to the, I'm sure, Uh, you'll recall the German road pricing system from uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, the um, mid-90s and on and so on. So I worked on those standards. Are those different kind of toll systems or um, those road systems? There's, those, are, uh, those are road tolling systems mm -hmm. that were at that time starting to use GPS systems. They were starting to, to, to try to do tolling without the gantries and without the, radios, the radio um, beacons that, are, that uh, vehicles were wearing. And we were moving from that form of, of, of radio transmission uh, in the vehicle to the gantry, and we were moving to GPS systems that would maybe communicate over the cellular network, for example. They would uh, record locations and they would record tolls that way. But there was a, a, a long effort to standardize that um, through the 90s and early 2000s, and I was involved mm -hmm. in that up, up until about, I would say, up until 2000 and 2010, something like that. But uh, more germane to what we're talking about now is that in the, the end of 2019, October of 2019, I approached the ISO saying that we are on the verge, I thought, of having a significant number of automated delivery robots and other kinds of robots operating in public spaces. In other words, operating on the sidewalk or on the pavement or maybe in bicycle lanes or maybe on roadsides. But anyway, operating among pedestrians and among driver vehicles, vehicles with human drivers in them. And we were going to also have um, vehicles such as uh, robo-taxis and 
uh, mm -hmm. apparently automated delivery trucks and so forth. And all of these were going to require some kind of guidance. And what I meant by guidance, I wasn't talking about robotic guidance with the cameras and the AI. I'm talking about uh, mm -hmm. like a reservation system. So where is yeah. it that you can park? Where can you unload? How, yeah. So how not the not the technical guidance, some more the organizational guidings around it, right? That's absolutely correct. It was the kind of thing, um, and and you'll see this. I, I think you know this very well. You'll see this on the shop floor when you have robots from multiple providers, mm -hmm. and we expect it to have. We already have sidewalk robots or pavement robots or delivery robots from multiple providers. That's already it, it, it's already the case. And I'm talking about companies like uh, DHL and companies like FedEx and companies mm -hmm. like UPS and some startups like mm -hmm. uh, uh, KiwiBot or like uh, um, Starship, for example. Mm -hmm. So there's many, many of these smaller startups with these are these are vehicles that are that are you know, maybe a quarter of a meter cube or, or or a little bit more, a third of a meter cube. And they carry small loads. They carry 15 or 20 kilograms or 30 kilograms. Some of them are a little bigger. Uh, and so on. But all of these would be sharing, expecting to share public spaces with, and this is not a problem that we have on the shop floor with a random number of pedestrians just going about their business, nothing to do with the robots at all. So at least mm -hmm. on the shop, at least on the shop floor, the humans that are there are either working there, right. somehow, mm -hmm. somehow involved with the job of the robots, maybe not with a particular robot, but but nonetheless, they're working and they're sharing the space. They're sharing a job space mm -hmm. with these machines, and and they know about these machines, and perhaps yeah. they're trained. They're trained to 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 collaborate with or to coordinate with them. They they know how to interact with them, right? Uh, because yeah. they're trained to do that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. And then and then you'll have systems uh, that that are multi-operator systems on the shop floor. Uh, there's a a group called Mass Robotics. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's it's housed in Boston, but that's a coincidence with the state of Massachusetts. But it's mass robotic, meaning meaning lots of. That's what they mean mm -hmm. by the word mm -hmm. mass robot. And that's the same problem. It's a multi-operator problem. But these are, I'm going to call them industrial robotics. Industrial meaning it's on a shop floor. It's on a it's on a manufacturing floor, or it could be in a warehouse floor. If you think about mm -hmm. Amazon robotics, uh. A, Huge, well-organized floor, a very uh, well-organized surface, a well-organized layout of the travel routes and the yeah. storage routes and the, and the placements. And so all of that, and it has to move very quickly and very effectively and very efficiently. And so mm -hmm. now you have you can have multiple operators in there because, you know, some robots are just moving things around and some robots might be monitoring things and some other robots might be cleaning things and various things that robots can do not all from the same operator necessarily and how do you coordinate all those so i'm going to say naively it's i don't want to use the word easy but I, but it's, it's it's somewhat more straightforward on a shop floor however complex it is it, at least you can understand the constrained environment yeah sure there there are more uh, uh restrictions and more uh, let's say boundaries yeah so a more known environment too because it's a factory and it's inside a factory yeah. but what you are talking and what you are working now on is really the the open field let's let's put it that way and the, the sidewalks of this world right and you were if we if we could go back a little bit burn you mentioned that the current situation is already that we have those robots running can you give us some examples where 
where we can find those robots right now on the streets and, and on the sidewalks? I know that Amazon has at least one, and I'm sure they have more pilots in cities. These are these are these are robots moving on streets with pedestrians in one or another city. I don't know the names of each of them because I don't I don't necessarily study each one of the particular sure. trials. But so Amazon has at least some, and I, I don't know if I'm talking about five or fifty, but some small number. Mm -hmm. uh, the the company. Um, Starship, which had them sooner, these are small, these are the ones that are about a quarter of a meter cube, uh, or sorry, a third of a meter cube, thereabouts. Their biggest site happens to be in a city called Milton Keynes. And what's unfair is that Milton Keynes is a, a well-planned, wide sidewalks uh, kind of city. It's kind of the opposite of a small European city uh, with medieval streets. It, it just has a space that Mm -hmm. These these robots can move more more readily in, and it, it appears to be highly accepted there. But here's the other problem with that one. I, I know I'm segueing a little bit, but the issue of looking just at that city is there's only one operator there. There's just Starship. So if you yeah. were to add if you were to add FedEx and add DHL to that same set of streets, then you have the kind of concern that I have is how do we coordinate these? Because mm -hmm. in the shop floor, even with multiple operators, you still How, you're in a collaborative workspace. You're, you're, these robots are intended and designed to collaborate with each to get a job done and collaborate with the humans. But on a street where we're delivering, so you have the FedExes and the, and the DHLs and the Starships delivering, there's something of a competition for space. Now, I don't mean a competition in a bad way, but they each need to go about delivering their deliveries. They're not, you know, the FedEx robot is there to, to make a delivery. Yeah, they're not true. they're not there with the primary intention of collaborating with let's just yeah. say Star, Starship. Starship is there to make their deliveries, and those deliveries are independent of each other. They're going from, from the, in other words, the A to B that are traveling is independent. Now they may share a sidewalk, so they will collaborate in the sense of not running into each other. Obviously, they're not going to do something foolish like that, but they may find themselves having to take turns. So what happens when you're when you approach a narrow space? Let's say that narrow space has a person in it. Now there's a robot approaching from one direction, another one from another direction. And somehow we have to navigate past these places. Uh, we have to perhaps give way to the human. Let's just say that's one of the rules. And then what's the rules for these two? Because there's only perhaps only enough room for one to pass at a time, for example. Mm -hmm. so that, how does that exchange take place? Yeah, sure. I understand. And it's yeah. it's not such an easy problem, right? And, so, right. Uh, and that is the, the new standard that you are currently working on, right? And it's a it's a ISO standard, ISO standard. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the, the standard and, and what what should be included in the future. What's the timeline to this? Um, because it, to me, uh, when I heard, uh, um, when I was talking to you for the first time, it sounded really, um, yeah, that, that there's a real plan now. And And it's uh, evolving over the next uh, couple of years right now, right? That's correct. Well, when I, when I first approached, I said um, I, there, would, there would needs to be four parts. I knew there needed to be a, a part defining data. There's a data definition element, and that data definition would apply throughout the entire standard-making process. Then we needed to have a part for, um, just, for the, just for the robo-taxi. In other words, how does a robo-taxi know where it can stop to let To pick up a passenger or to let off a passenger. Parenthetically, you can't have, like right now, if you take a taxi, a taxi can stop in the middle of the street and you can hop out. 
Uh, it might it might block a bicycle lane or whatever for a minute. Um, it, not that it's okay or not, but that's just what goes on. So mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of mishaps with bicycles and bicycle lanes and pedestrians and so on. But we get we we stumble through picking up and getting out, getting into and getting out of taxis. But in mm-hmm. the future, when those are when those are machines, when those are automated machines, stopping in an arbitrary in an arbitrary place, stopping on a bicycle lane, stopping in the in the through lane. That's not a sensible way to design an automated system. You want to have mm-hmm. places, pull-off places. What, what do those look like? How big do they need to be? How many do you need? Uh, do you need them? Uh, and what do you do? How do you assign them? To? So, mm-hmm. you know, how do you tell a robo-taxi, go to place at location so-and-so to pick up, given that you want to pick somebody up at place so-and-so, go and stand your vehicle at this spot. And get and pick that person up, and then when you deliver them to this other place, the place B, um, stand on that spot and and and, and let your uh, passenger out. For example, same with goods delivery. I, maybe I need uh, two minutes to pick up or leave off a passenger. They on average take about two and a half minutes, but I might be delivering something, and a delivery might on average take eleven or fifteen or twelve, you know, whatever minutes. Uh, so I need to reserve a place and a time. And then I need to deal with things, for example, if the place is not available, uh, it becomes unavailable for some reason, some, some mishap occurs, something unexpected occurs, and the place that your delivery truck was supposed to use is no longer available. And we just found out three minutes before your arrival time, so we have to reassign you. And what do you a do new, if I don't new have spot. a... Yeah. You, you have to get a new spot or, or a new order for the, for the robo-delivery taxi that's, or whatever. That's, yeah? mm-hmm. that's right. I, I, need, I need to get a new spot. And if, I, and if I have one that's not close enough, should I tell you, should the system say, go around the block until something opens up? Uh, what, what, what do we do? So there's one thing, it's very easy to understand a reservation system. It, that's, not, that's not difficult. Mm-hmm. But understanding what to do when, when exceptions occur, which always occur, that's where mm-hmm. the complexity comes. How do you handle all those exceptions? Now, yeah. amongst that, I want you to throw in Scofflaw Parker, somebody who parks their car in the in the spot, then that the person that parks their own private car in that spot is not part of your system. You don't have any way to signal them or to remove them. They're just a it's kind of like an accidental arrival yeah. of, of something outside of your system. It's almost yeah, because like, you know, uh, I could imagine because the, at first we will have human drivers interacting also with with robotic drivers yeah let's let's put it that way and and there's where some of the friction might occur in the future right and what you're talking about right now burn is is the curbside regulation i think that's what you call it right that's right well that's one of the parts i've been mm-hmm. saying that's when i said there was four parts the second mm-hmm. the, the second part was the curbside the third part is the sidewalk because you are reserving a space on the curb in order to stop a vehicle and load or unload. Mm-hmm. But you're reserving a space on the sidewalk in order to move a vehicle. Let's just say you're going to go from A to B. You have to go across six block faces and the intervening five crosswalks in between those six block faces, let's just say, if that's how you're getting from A to B. Well, what you're asking for is a reservation to use that block face, to travel along that block face, not to stop on it because it, it's actually your journey. And so now we have problems of how should you behave on that block face? Should you travel on the right side or the left side? Uh, what, what speed are you permitted to travel on? We're not going to put little speed posting signs all over <laughs> every, every sidewalk. That would be 
silly and ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But we have we have to tell you that the, the, the robot operator. And this is all, of course, automated and digitalized, and so on and so on. But somewhere we need to get the message that when robot number so and so arrives at block face number such and such, um, it's it's to travel at a maximum of uh, you know six kilometers per hour, for example, whatever that mm-hmm. maximum mm-hmm. is. But when it receives the next one, it gets to the next uh, block face. It it, can, it has to go at only four, uh, because yeah. the city the city says so. It's the same thing when you travel in any city. You might have a default speed for the city, but there's a school zone where the speed is lower, and then there's a a throughway where the speed is higher. Well, we have to tell these systems what what these speeds are, and the local traffic operator has to be able to change them. It's all going to be done without signage. It's all going to be done digitally. It's all going to be done through telecommunications. So how do we communicate that? What what are the what are the data forms and what are the procedures to communicate that to the robots? Mm-hmm. And what's the, what's the procedure to change the speed limit? Let's just say that you would like to change the speed limit on a certain set of blocks. Mm-hmm. Do you have to give do you have to give 24 hours notice, 48 hours notice? How do you go about doing it? I mean, you can say, well, we're just going to change it on the system. It's very easy to understand that. But you have multiple companies doing multiple things for multiple reasons on multiple blocks, and you can't just change it without notice. You have to give people a lead because, for example, the logistics operator at 10, 10 p.m. or midnight is planning its its machines or planning its deliveries for the next day, starting at 6 a.m. or 8 a.m., whatever. You know that goes on. Those logistics operators have to understand what, what are the rules tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I have to know them. I have to know them the day before or perhaps two days before uh, because it, it will change my plan, uh, my distribution plan and so forth. So all of these rules and the rules and the rules to change those rules all have to be standardized in a way that every logistics operator can say, what are my rules to my his? Like, I know what my, I know what I know what I need to deliver. That's that's my business with my mm-hmm. with my customers. I'm just a carrier. Um, but I need to know how to behave when I'm carrying what I'm carrying and and so on. So that's what the, the entire not the entire, but that's what that portion of the standard for the sidewalk is. Now there was a fourth part, and that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. If, if, <laughs> if, if you're not already upset. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so far, Bern, uh, what you said now about the sidewalk robots, it reminded me a lot, uh, and we were talking about that before, of course, but it reminded me a lot of, of the problems that he, we had in the factories with the robots, yeah? because also there you have to define some rules. Yeah? You don't want to have the robots drive just anywhere. Yeah? And uh, you also have to uh, restrict some areas, for example, yeah, for the robots where they shouldn't go. Or maybe you have a, a construction site in, in the plant yeah, and, and, and the robot should not pass at, at that and that time uh, at this specific place. And um, what you described here for the, for the sidewalk um, is actually uh, uh, quite similar, but even more complex, uh, to put it that way. Yeah? So I think that's, that's even more complex. And I was really yeah, astonished that, that there are already a lot of people uh, are talking about those issues. Yeah? Uh, and so that's, that's very interesting. But there is a, a fourth point missing now uh, that we wanted to talk about. Uh, so what is the, fir- the fourth uh, uh, part of the, st- uh, the standard? Well, the, the fourth part, and this is what I thought would happen in year three or four, uh, and that is that there is a lot of talk about an automated van 
a, a truck of some size arriving at a spot. It doesn't matter. It might be in a parking lot or what, arriving at a spot central to 20 or 30 or 40 deliveries. So it's central to a few tens of deliveries. And so that van might have with it, let's just say it has with it three robots. Ah, uh, okay. So like a, like a, a van parking somewhere and distributing his smaller delivery units uh, yeah. into onto the sidewalk. Okay, I understand. Con, that. Con, consider it a very small mobile warehouse, a warehouse with 20 or 30 or 40. Well, what is a DHL truck if it's not a small mobile warehouse? I, yeah. I understand that, that there's a driver that's going to unload that truck at various places. But at the moment that truck leaves its depot, mm -hmm. and it's got 50 packages in it, It's a it's a it's a roaming warehouse and it and it has a route and it, so if that's what we're going to do if we're going to have a van just say it's automated that's the promise it's automated but whether it is or not and it shows up somewhere it releases some robots and they go back and forth they, sometimes they call these a mothership it goes back and forth mm -hmm. picks up mm -hmm. and so on it doesn't matter that they're human that there's human assistance or not forget about that what what does matter is that van needs a place to stop uh, of course so it can't travel around the block looking for places up. It has to be assigned. It has to reserve a spot. Then when it reserves a spot, it also needs to reserve permission to take its loads, take its deliveries over those 20 or 30 or 40 pathways that it, that it decides to deliver on. So now I need to coordinate the curbside where there's mm -hmm. a via, a, like a, a truck sized, mm -hmm. the usual big truck, big step van sized vehicle and two or three or four smaller robots. So now you arrive at a place where there's only two two robots permitted, mm -hmm. let's say. Well, you need to know that because there's no point in you bringing four robots with you. You're only allowed to, you're only allowed to use two on that area that you have to deliver to. So that it helps you to know that. And it also has to be coordinated with others because let's send a DHL truck over there. At the same time, let's send a FedEx truck over there, each with 50 packages and each with four robots. But your sidewalk only permits three robots. So now you have a... Uh, you, you have a scheduling conflict and you need to sort all those things out. So the, mm -hmm. the standards permitting the, again, the, the, the data, the mm -hmm. procedures, the data was point, point number one, right? Was data. The second one yes. was the curbside, right? That's right. And now mm -hmm. the sidewalk and, and now the, and the now sidewalk. the, um, mm -hmm. uh, now the, the combination, I'll call it the, the integration. And I like the term uh, mothership delivery, you know, <laughs> yeah. the mothership that drops the, the delivery robots. Yeah? So yeah. Uh, that, that, that is basically sort of the scope of the, the whole ISO standard. That's the scope. That, that, that is the scope of the whole standard. It, it's exploded into another, a larger series of parts. And that is not, so that's the main thing. You see the whole, you see the main picture, but while the, while the, robot is on the sidewalk there is a, a, a whole bunch of rules about mm -hmm. its 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 directional behavior i mean for example must it travel in a clockwise or or anti-clockwise motion or maybe you don't care uh does it have to travel on the right side or the left side or, you, or, mm -hmm. or don't you care these things are all important as I, i just learned a couple of weeks ago um speaking to somebody from the canadian national institute for the blind said one of the ways we instruct the blind help them to navigate on a sidewalk is something they call shorelining and shorelining is the act of hugging a building like as you travel along a sidewalk remember you can you're 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 visually handicapped 
mm-hmm. and you want to stay along the side of the building so you, you, you get, it's easier for you to find landmarks and keep track of where you are, and you're, you're a little bit out of the way of the main footpath. And he said, well, if you put robots on the right side, basically hugging the wall, then you, would have, you will disturb that process. And of course, my answer was, well, the standard will just let them flip to the left. And he said, well, the problem is if you flip to the left or the outside, the curbside side of the, of the mm-hmm. pavement, well, then you have transit stops. So mm-hmm. now you are interfering with people getting on and off the bus. So that, this, is a, this is a very serious problem. Yeah. Like, like, I don't want to go in the middle because all the pedestrians are there walking their dog and pushing their carts. I don't want to go on the right because of the, as I just said, I don't want to go on the left because of the transit. So what can I do? Yeah, those are real, (laughs) real existing problems. Yeah. And I I remember that you, you have been also talking about the guys or or the people that are walking with their dogs and, and you got the the leash between the dog and the person and the robot has to know somehow or or what happens in this situation. At least somebody has to think it through. uh, And, and that's what you actually uh, are doing right now. Um, Bern, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the time horizon on that? Are we talking about I don't know, 10 years in the future right now? Or, or what's the plan? Writing a standard, uh, because, you know, I think I can imagine most things. When I say most, I can 60 or 65 percent of things. And then when I, t- it's one of the things that I do is I meet three times a year with people that listen to what I've imagined and they tell me the things I've forgotten. I just gave you an example of that when I, when I said oh, I thought I was very clever to have everybody travel on the right-hand side. And then mm-hmm. I found out that that's disturbing for the um, people who are visually impaired. So that's an example of my mm. taking my ideas out and having them corrected to or, or, or considered in a, a real environment. So that process of, of establishing ideas, getting them tried and tested, these are all thought processes because so far the actual robotic companies have not, I, I've, I've approached four of them and so far they've all declined to, to collaborate because each would like to set their own standards. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, p- partly and the other part is they would say well you know let us know when you're finished the standard and you know we'll see what we can do to comply yeah, okay. uh, i don't blame them I, they're not right or wrong about that but what it means is that i'm working with with city planners uh and city people that work for cities uh that are thinking about these problems and many of those cities i work with somebody in the city of pittsburgh and mm-hmm. she's bringing in a company called KiwiBot. To run mm-hmm. a pilot that's one of these smaller startups mm-hmm. uh, i work with somebody from washington dc who's actually had a pilot from before and i know somebody from london england that's had a pilot before and so they they tell me things that have gone wrong and so that adds to the process so that's a little bit of a long answer but this whole thing is expected to take four years to write all all the parts of the standard and to go through the whole process it goes through a, a process with the iso being formally correct and exp- that's just in the correction that's just in the expression when they, when they say formally correct that the standard is expressed in a way that everybody can understand what the standard says mm-hmm. uh, and that i get guidance for that there's, there's professionals that 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 take the ideas and, and make sure that they're expressed properly and then mm-hmm. of course it has to be translated and published so by the time they're by the time you can buy the full suite and in in German or French or whatever language you want to buy them in, that's going to be 2024 or 2025. That's a few years out mm-hmm. before it's to that level. But there's, a, there's another timeline going on here as well, and that's the timeline for the robotics themselves. They're already in some cities. So in some way, I'm a little bit late. However, mm-hmm. 
because those providers are, are by themselves, so Amazon's operating by themselves, and Starship is operating by itself, and, and, and FedEx is operating by itself, so with Kiwi Bot, because they're alone, they don't have multiple vendors, this standard is, is pretty minor. It doesn't matter to them. Right, at the time, because they are acting by, their, by themselves yeah. in one city, because each city is only allowing one pilot uh, at maximum right now, probably, yeah. I imagine, right? That's mm -hmm. right. And they might have, I, I mean, there's a lot of them in, there's several tens, I don't know, 90 or 100 or more than 100 in Milton Keynes robots. But when you go into, when you go to the other cities, like in Toronto, there's four. Four is meaningless. They're, they're just little toys. That, that, that doesn't create a threat. That doesn't create a big, it does, you, can't, you can't congest anything with four of mm -hmm. them, <laughs> for example. But it's really this, it's really, you know, what happens when FedEx is perfected and UPS is perfected and DHL is perfected, all of those three companies have, contra have customers in, in hundreds of cities. So, you know, pick a city. I don't know. What, doesn't matter what city. And DHL delivers there. It delivers several hundred packages a day in that city. And so does FedEx. And they both want to put robots in. Does that happen in 2023, 2024, 2025? When does that happen? Now, all of a sudden, the standard is really critical or mm -hmm. an equivalent is very critical. What so, is your personal opinion on that from, from what you experienced uh, uh, over the past few months and, and years that you, you are already working on that stuff? What is your personal opinion on when does it occur and, and when does it get really necessary? Well, I think it's going to be really necessary in probably by 2023 in a couple of cities. I, th I think there'll be I think there'll be multiple operators and there'll be a few cities in which there'll be multiple operators asking to operate. Mm -hmm. And and the, and the cities either some cities are going to say no, we don't want these, and some cities are going to say well these are really important because they're reducing truck traffic or whatever whatever reasons. So I'm just thinking 2023 or 2023 people really looking at this, even though mm -hmm. the standard isn't finished. Some of the, the critical parts will be the sidewalk parts will be done probably by 2022. And uh, and uh, at least I, when I talked about 2024, that's the entire suite. There's, there's okay. 12 parts. Mm -hmm. there's, now tw there's now 12 parts. So uh, that, that that of course would take that would, of course would, take, would take a while. But, uh, but I want you to think about something here. So one of the things is that w there's a there's a major player in transportation called Uber, and mm -hmm. here in here in North America, there's a second one called Lyft, and um, in other in other countries. There might be Didi, or there might be, um, I can't remember, Kareem in the Middle East and so on. So there's, there's a, a dozen large providers of ride-hailing. Now, what does that have to do with this? Well, the history of ride-hailing, which is, I think, 2009 or 2010, so, so it's 11 years old. And during those 11 years, uh, it, it, it's created a, a considerable fuss in many cities. There's, there's a huge number of people that love it and use it. There's a huge number of cities that have problems with it. And it's a complex set of questions. And it's, as of a, a year ago, less, less than 1% of all trips in North America, in the United States, less than 1%, it's actually 0.4%, was by Uber or Lyft. And a huge kerfuffle for less than 1%. Well, how long will it be until 1% of all food deliveries are made by robots. Let's just say that takes six years. That's a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of the entire food delivery market, which is now bicycles and cars and so on. And so mm -hmm, on. Mm -hmm. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about meals, like if you order a meal to your home. 
right, I'm talking yeah. about that 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 hot food like a, like a, and not, and not also food. also grocery deliveries no because they are they are yeah. popping up right right now uh, everywhere um, and and getting really popular or at least over here in in Europe already. Well, I, I look out my window. I live on a street on a street of five story buildings, uh, and the grocery truck is is a, is a frequent visitor to these series of five buildings. I don't I don't know if it's twice a day or whatever. It, 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 the grocery truck is frequent. I know that in my building alone, there's 88 families in my building, and there's very frequent deliveries of food from the various fast food places. They come in by bicycle, courier, and car, and so on. And I don't know whether there's five or 10 a day, whatever number it is. What I'm saying is that if in five years, only 1% of all these deliveries are made by robots, that's a huge number of robots on a huge number of sidewalks, causing a huge number of concerns and complaints and regulations and, and, and so on. So you'll see cities saying yes, and they'll saying no, and there all kinds of things. So I think these next few years are gonna be exciting for me because I'm working, mm -hmm. the, I'm working on the problem. But will be frustrating, and will be uh, fascinating for all the odd things that can happen. And I and I think it will be a bigger deal than the ride hailing. And the reason is that it's even more novel. I mean, ride hailing is like a is like a weird taxi, but a robot on the sidewalk is like a very weird bicycle delivery. It's just not the same, and it's in a space which we so we don't want machines on the sidewalk. The sidewalk is for people i mean okay we could push a baby carriage but it's not for a bicycle although we have that as a problem in many cities now we want to put machines that are that are motorized that can that can go some of these machines can go a lot faster than a pedestrian even though they might be constrained they can go faster so how do we how do we enforce that and so forth so i think the sidewalk is a much more is a much more difficult regulatory space because we're not We don't even have a habit of regulating the sidewalk. At least we we have a habit of regulating the roadway, and we somewhat regulate the curb with parking payment and loading zones and ticketing and so on. But we don't have any process to regulate the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the p policeman giving you a ticket for walking on the wrong side of the sidewalk? This is not thinkable. <laughs> It right? sounds weird, yeah. At, at no, least in normal well, cities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, Caesar was regulating goods traffic back in like 30 or 40 BC. They was regulating the, the deliveries of, of goods in mm -hmm. Rome. This is like almost so, 2,100 years ago. There's a long history to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, we have, but we, have, we have no history at all. None. Yeah. <laughs> but if we're coming back to that, because that was a very interesting and, and very actually enlightening for me. Um, the, the timeline that you mentioned. So we are actually talking uh, about next year and the year after already, right? So you, you mentioned yep. 2022 for the, um, the third part of the standard, the sidewalk standard. Yep. Um, so this is actually in, in one and a half or two years, right? We are not talking about 10 years in the future. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's uh, uh, because there, there is a... I have the feeling that sometimes there is a little bit of a, a misguiding uh, discussion going on 
uh, on how fast does does the delivery robot come to the to the sidewalks? Yes, and some some uh, are having the the attitude, you know, this this will take the next, I don't know, maybe in ten years or in in six years or so. Yeah, but uh, you are actually already talking to those cities uh, that are doing the pilots uh, in their cities, and and they are yeah. approaching you. And and are asking for for this this work of a standard, so that's that's very interesting to me. Yeah, no, it is. It, it, I think that the cities are nervous that they 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 were caught by surprise with ride hailing. They were caught by surprise with the with the necessity for bike sharing. They weren't caught by they weren't surprised by bikes, but they were surprised that oh, they we really have to have a bike sharing system. Mm. Uh, and they were caught completely by surprise by scooters, especially the various forms of whether you leave leave them on the sidewalk and so on. And and uh, and we've been surprised now by so many now by e-bikes, electric bikes, and so on. Mm -hmm. And so when I tell them about the robots, they look at me and they want to say, "Okay, you know what? That's like 20 years away. Now leave me alone." But they also they also look at me and say, "You know what? We got fooled for the last decade. We've been fooled five times. So we really need to start paying attention." And they are so the cities that I approach are saying, "Okay, we need to we need to think about this." Yeah, very and, interesting. And what what opportunities do you see, Bern, uh, uh, if this gets all started and, and uh, with, with all the delivery robots? And uh, what kind of opportunities do you see? Well, I, I see I see an opportunity, a major opportunity, is for what I what we call here in Canada business improvement areas, and we call them business improvement districts in the United States and in England business improvement districts. I don't know what they're called in Germany, but there will be uh, the any city, like a city with 100,000 people or 150,000 people, whatever, lots of medium-sized cities, and they'll have a business district. There'll be downtown. There'll be 60 or 70 or 80 retailers and businesses that cluster downtown. And around those downtowns, there will be 50 or 60,000 homes, sometimes apartments, sometimes single family homes, around like a two or three kilometer radius around this downtown area. So we call those business improvement areas. And uh, those have all been harmed in North, I just talked about North America. I don't, I can't speak for Europe, but in North America, they were, they were challenged by what's called the box store. These are massive stores with huge uh, inventories, with huge parking lots, And so it's better for you to drive to these stores, a very popular one called Walmart here in, in, <laughs> yeah. in North America, for example. But you, you'll have like Ikea, a big store with lots yeah. of yeah. massive parking lot. You'll go there and you'll do big shopping. Instead of walking to a nearby store, you'll go to these big, we call them box stores. That started 15 years ago, and that was a threat to these city retailers. Then e-commerce picked up dramatically over the past five or seven years. And of course, over the past 18 months, e-commerce has grown by 50% just in just during 2020. And so now the combination of that with, with, the, with the pandemic, the, many, many of these retailers have been shut down. They've just gone out of business completely. And so there's a concern. There's 300 of these in, just in Ontario, just in my province. There's 500 in Canada. And there's 2,000 in North America, all these small Business improvement area. These can all be helped. M many of them can be helped if we can lower the delivery costs of food and small items to people's homes, rather than drive to the box store, 
if it's too far to walk or you're unable to walk, have it delivered instead of a bicycle delivery, which is quite expensive here in Canada. You can have it delivered by a robot, which is about a third or a quarter of the price. So my viewpoint is that these robots could, by lowering delivery costs, could help these BIAs recover from the pandemic. Now, of course, the robots aren't ready yet. The standard's not ready this year. The robots are not ready to... Now, a robot operator can come in and have a single operator operate now. For example, the company Starship can come in right now by themselves. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need a standard. And they, can, they, and they can perform this operation. And I think that's what will happen. I think that these, as we come back from this pandemic, I think that some of these business districts will hire or collaborate with these robot companies. And I think you'll see, that's where I think you'll see them in small numbers in next year. And that will do as soon as that competition starts, as soon as somebody says, well, I would like to come there as well. Mm -hmm. They say, well, now we have a multi. So you're not going to have a multi-vendor problem until 2023 or 2024. Yeah, but you will have a the single vendor is not the issue in 2022. It's the multi-vendor issue that I'm prepared for. And that's 2023, 2024. All right. And um, so you are currently working on this uh, standard, Bern. And um, could you um, just explain a little bit on, on what is the exact definition or how can people get in contact with this standard or your work? So if they are interested, or is that actually a possibility that they can bring in you, uh, uh, their view on the topic? Uh, and can they contact you in any any way or can they read something about it what would you say well, so so there's a couple of levels of answer to that so first of all um, in the very general answer the answer is absolutely if you're interested um, i have a couple of white papers there's a white paper that explains the standard in modest detail layman level modest details it's it's only i think 15 pages it's not it's not overbearing uh there's another white paper it's really targeted at planning and that's a little bit longer than that. Um, both of those are available. Or what I can do is I can um, send those to you and you can include them in your um, uh, in your description of the podcast. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, for example, I can send you both of those links. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's at this sort of anybody level. Now, um, I can make the standard draft. That's a, that's a whole different document. I can make the draft standard available to anybody who wants to make input. In other words, if, you, if you're working for a planner or you're working for a city, And this is a matter of concern or interest to you. Or if you're with an accessibility group, let's just say you're with someone uh, that's concerned about accessible access for wheelchairs, for example, and you could be and should be concerned about this. I can make the standard available. I certainly make the, the summaries available. And I would love your input. That's another level. The final level is I have a group that meets three times a year. This is a little bit formal, not terribly formal, but we meet in a Zoom chat room uh, in something I call a, a round table. And there's and on that at that round table there's room for 11 logistics operators at, or commercial I could they could be robotic companies, they could be logistics operators. And there's still space for four. And there's also uh, room for a, a dozen cities, but that's full. Mm -hmm. uh, I, if I had enough interest, I would be willing to duplicate that. But what those are, those are three times a year, two hour discussions. We actually look at the document and we actually criticize what's missing and what needs to be altered in the document. So it's actually a working meeting. 
Now that takes some commitment, and I actually um, I ask for a sponsorship fee for that to join that group if you are a commercial enterprise because you are um, working on a document as a commercial enterprise that would be useful to you as a planner in the future or mm-hmm. as a robotic or, or as a robotics logistics operator in the future. So if you are if you are in that business, logistics business or planning business, uh, then the standard is critical to you. And just to, to emphasize this, uh, Burn, uh, this is an international standard, right? So it's actually, uh, um, it's not only yeah, restricted to Canada or the US. Is that right? That's good. It's international. So, so, for example, some of the cities on this is London. Uh, Transport for London has a, a representative. Uh, Budapest has a representative. Mm-hmm. Lisbon has a representative. Um, just trying to think if there's one more from Europe, I can't think. And, and there's um, two two cities in Canada that are represented, and then the other five are American cities that are represented, mm-hmm. such as Pittsburgh and Washington and Orlando and so on. So it, it's it, the cities are are uh, half North America and half European. And and so uh, I I was missing a German city actually burn. So if, if there is a German city interested uh, uh, to to work on the standard, so uh, please approach Bern Grusch, right? Um, well, that was very very interesting. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, my last question would be, uh, and I ask this to to everybody in the podcast. So, how would you imagine the, the logistics of the future? What are your thoughts on that, Bern? Uh, the field of logistics will grow. Consumption goes up. That almost almost certain. The things that we can order without going there becomes easier, becomes faster and easier to to, to have things brought to you than is to go out and drive to them. For example. Uh, that has been a huge uptick because of the pandemic, and it won't settle back. It's not so e-commerce in 2022 is not going to go back to e-commerce in 2019. Uh, it's going to be somewhere in between now, very uh, very intensive, and so that is growing logistics. More and more shapes and types of vehicles and automation therein. More and more warehousing. I mean, I think that there is a huge opportunity for small warehouses and. One of my visions, and I don't know uh, how much this will be true, but I think there's a huge opportunity for small warehouses at the periphery of cities that can bring in things from the massive warehouses, all targeted for the next day delivery. And many of that can go out either in these motherships or can, if depending on the positioning of these, I call them micro warehouses or mini warehouses, uh, can actually go out by, by robot. So I think that the field will grow, the, the the automation in that field will grow, not just in the warehouse, but actually out on the street. And the um, I think a decade from now, uh, seeing a delivery to you by a robot, it will be not surprising. It'll be it'll be you'll think nothing of it. And I think within 10 years you will see ambulatory robots. In other words, a robot that can walk upstairs. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that's a harder, that's an even harder problem from a robotic perspective, of course, a harder problem. But it relieves a lot of the sidewalk problems because an ambulatory robot that's nimble uh, is, is it's a lot more fluid in how it can get around obstacles because it, it can also use stairs. You can, you can make them, could, you could make them tell, intelligent enough to use uh, doors and so on. Uh, but I think that's, 
it's a little bit fanciful at this point, but you will see them. We will see that as well. Well, thank you very much, Bern. Uh, that was very, very interesting. And I think also for our international logistics audience, uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for being on our show, Bern. Thank, thank you, Mark. You're welcome. And thank you very much as well. All right. That was the Logistics Drive podcast episode with Bern Grosch. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. We have a lot of interesting guests and topics coming up for you. I'm Boris Fergandreer. Until next time.